This is The Ascending Life with Pastor Josh Blevins of Grace Calvary Chapel. If you have enough faith in your heart to believe that Jesus can take you, rescue you, forgive you, redeem you, restore you, then he will happily do so. With open arms, without judgment, he will receive you into his family and make you his own. He will erase the past failures of your life and he will give you a redeemed start. Faith is a powerful thing. It's faith in Jesus' redemptive power that can change lives. Have you ever felt like you were too far gone or too sinful to possibly be forgiven and made new? If that's you today, you need to know that faith in Jesus is all that you need. Scripture is full of people who were murderers and prostitutes, who placed their faith in Jesus and were completely forgiven and changed. In today's message, Pastor Josh will show you that you are never too far gone to be made new. Now, here's Pastor Josh in the book of Hebrews chapter 11, as he continues his message, Faith Declares Jesus is Better. I don't ask God, is it safe? I obey God and I trust him with my safety. Because here's a beautiful thing about walking with Jesus. If you are confidently walking with Jesus by faith, you know you are not getting out of here until Jesus says your time is up. When he says it's done, it's done. But until then, you have the call to put yourself out for the purposes of God. Not to enact measures of self-preservation to keep you safe. I'll follow Jesus as long as it fits within the parameters of where I feel comfortable and safe and protected. No. Jesus calls us, even at times, to the giving of our own lives for the sake of his gospel and his calling. The second question we should not ask is, does this make sense to me? One quick reading of the Bible will show you that God is always calling his people to do things that don't make worldly sense to their human minds. If your goal is to wrap your mind around every venture of faith before you say yes to God, you'll find a disappointment when you discover that God is not obligated to tell you all the details beforehand. Does this make sense to me? Third thing we should not ask ourselves, is this what the world would do? Because 90% of the time, the answer is going to be no. Does it matter if what God says looks different than what the college professor says, or the experts say, or the politicians say? Don't we have a Bible that tells us that the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is greater and stronger than men? And Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 2 that our faith should not be in the wisdom of men, but in the power of God. That is how we are salt and light. That's how we look different. We're following the directive of God and his truth and his word, not the opinions of an unbelieving world. That's what makes us different. I think if I was to sum up Joshua's Jericho experience, I would put it like this. 
that the greatest evidence of trusting God's word is obeying God's word, even when it defies our understanding. Likewise, the greatest evidence of unbelief in our lives is disobedience to God's word because we are convinced that our way is better. How do I know? How do I look in the mirror and get an accurate reflection of whether or not I truly trust God? It's whether or not I'm obeying him. Even if I don't understand his methods, even if I don't understand, even if I don't have all the details. And what's the greatest sign of unbelief in my life? Is when I'm walking in disobedience because I want to maintain control. Well, while faith was taking place outside the walls of Jericho, There was also genuine faith taking place inside the walls of Jericho by one woman. The most unlikely character you would expect to find faith in. Probably, maybe even in the entire Bible. As the people of Israel were marching around and blowing trumpets and it was inciting intimidation and fear within the hearts of the unbelieving heathens that were inside Jericho, there was one woman named Rahab who previous to the attack had seen the two Hebrew spies and told them to come into her house and hid them from those who were seeking their lives and provided them a way of escape from the city. And her only request is when you guys, when the Lord delivers this city into your hands, remember me and my family. And I believe it's in Joshua 2. I love what she says. She says, for the Lord is the God of heaven and earth, and he will deliver. You see, Rahab had only heard about the God of Israel through second, third-hand accounts. She'd only heard about what God had done from a distance. But when she heard about the God of Israel, something in her heart said, there is no fortified city that can stop this God. There are no amount of idols. There are no amount of armies that can stop this God. I'm choosing to trust in him. Not the security of the walls, not the safety of my home, not the identification with my people. I'm choosing to put it all aside and to call upon this God for my salvation. And that faith that she demonstrated delivered her alive and her family alive, the only ones, when God brought destruction to Jericho. And Rahab's faith was represented by a scarlet cord that was hanging from her window on the wall to identify her as the sole one who was trusting in God's salvation in that whole city. Of course, I believe that the scarlet cord is a beautiful picture of being tied to heaven through the blood of Jesus. That the blood of Jesus over our lives gives that proclamation that we are trusting in God's salvation But here's what I think is incredible about this story, and this is what I love about the Bible, I love about Jesus, I love about one of the many things I love about God. The people reading Paul's letter to the Hebrews were Hebrews. They were Jews, mostly. It would have shocked them. They're reading here, Abraham, Noah, Joseph, David, All of the heroes, the male Jewish heroes of their faith. It all makes sense to them. Joshua. And then what does God do? He puts in a Gentile prostitute woman, which would have offended the mind out of a Jew. And I love that. God takes the most unlikely character and he praises her faith as one of the heroes of true faith. 
and recipients of God's salvation. In fact, Rahab was used both by Paul and James as an example of faith and obedience to God. And this is an incredible example of faith, but it's also a beautiful picture of God's grace. Why? Because it teaches me that when it comes to God's grace and when it comes to faith, God plays no favorites. God shows no partiality. He doesn't look and say, well, who's squeaky clean enough for me to accept them? And I'll take that one, that one, that one, because they've been pretty good. But you guys, you guys are pretty screwed up, and so you can just stay out there. God doesn't do that. God's economy looks at a woman who had a sexually immoral past, who was not part of the family of God through Israel, and who was basically a heathen. And he says, because my economy works on whether or not you have the faith to trust me and to call on me for my salvation, and you did that, I'm going to take you now out of where you were and make you an integral part of my eternal plan. And how do we know this? Because if you read your Bible carefully, King David's great-great-grandmother is who? Rahab. And if you look at the lineage of Jesus Christ, Rahab is up there. So she did turn from her ways. She did renounce her past life. She did identify with God and his people, and God redeemed her life from the destructive path it was on and welcomed her into his family. And I think I just want to ask the question, who are you today? Two questions, perhaps. Number one, who are you today? A drug addict? A prostitute? A swindler? A drunk? Are you the outcast who has been rejected by society and by the religious elite? If you are... I have great news for you today. If you have enough faith in your heart to believe that Jesus can take you, rescue you, forgive you, redeem you, restore you, then he will happily do so. With open arms, without judgment, he will receive you into his family and make you his own. He will erase the past failures of your life and he will give you a redeemed start. I think the second question, though, for probably the majority of us today is harder. And that is, why aren't any of those people sitting in the pews of our church? I find it sad that most religious people today are quicker to reject someone from being part of God's family than God is. And I'm not making excuses for sin or living in sin. That's not what we're talking about. What we're talking about is that if the church is only full of redeemed people who are dead in their sins and trespasses and on their way to hell, then what makes us think that after we come to Christ, we no longer have a mission to get people who are lost and in their sin and on their way to hell? For such were some of you, but you've been cleansed and washed and redeemed and forgiven and made whole by the blood of Jesus. And the mission of Christ is still active today to bring people with a past and give them a hopeful future in Christ. So faith, trust in God's power and trust in God's 
methods. And I think when I think of God's methods and I think about marching around the city all these times and, you know, I can't help but be reminded that the Bible tells us that the preaching of the gospel is foolishness to the world and to those who are perishing. Men and women are sinners by nature. They're enemies of God. God wouldn't have it, so he came down and he sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to die on a cross to take the place for our sins. He rose and conquered the grave and death forever. He lives forevermore, and he offers salvation and hope, the hope of heaven and restoration to God to anyone who will come to faith in him. That's the gospel. And to many people, they mock at it, they jeer at it, they laugh at it. What good is that going to accomplish? But let me tell you what, there's going to be a day when there's a shout from heaven and the shout of the archangel, and the trumpet of God. And on that day, the dead in Christ will rise first, and we who are alive and remaining will be caught up together to meet the Lord, meet them, and forever we shall be with the Lord. The ultimate victory will be seen, and Jesus will return, and every eye shall see him, and every ear shall hear him, and every knee shall bow to him, and confess that he is Lord. Don't wait. If you're waiting, I'll see what happens, you know. I'll see about this Jesus thing. No, today is the day of your salvation. If you don't know Christ, today is the day where God offers you the hope of salvation. The destruction of Jericho is coming. The world and all that's in it will dissolve by fire. There is the end of the world, and it comes at the hand of God. But today is a day of hope. It's a day of invitation. It's a day of salvation. Well, let's continue on with our second point of three. Is that faith overcomes human weakness. I love this. Faith overcomes human weakness. Look at verse 32, if you would, with me. He continues, what more shall I say? For the time would fail me to tell of Gideon and Barak and Samson and Jephthah, also of David and Samuel and the prophets, who through faith subdued kingdoms, worked righteousness, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lions, quenched the violence of fire, escaped the edge of the sword, out of weakness were made strong, became valiant in battle, turned to flight the armies of aliens. It's not space invaders, by the way. We're talking about foreign invaders. Women received their dead, raised to life again. And here, Paul, he says, Time would fail me, you know, basically he says, in conclusion, and then he goes on to write two more chapters, like every typical preacher. Long-winded preaching is not something new. But here he just shoots off a list of people. Now, we could do a whole eight-part series just on these verses. So I really prayed, Lord, what do you want me to try to put forth to your people from this passage right here? And there could be so many things said, but one thing jumped out at me. And that is how seemingly disqualified all of these people are to be in Hebrews chapter 11. Think about it. Gideon led arguably, probably the most successful military campaign in Israel's history. Against all odds, with a whittled down army and an odd strategy, became a victorious judge and a revered judge of Israel, but not before he was found by God, afraid, cynical, insecure, hiding out in a wine press from his enemies, 
And God shows up to Gideon. He's like, you mighty man of valor. And Gideon's looking around like, who, who are you talking to? Don't you know who I am? Like the least in the tribes of all Israel. Here I am in a wine press. Here I am hiding. What are you talking about? Don't you love that God can call out things in us that we haven't realized yet? And yet here, Gideon, when he decides to trust put his faith in God, even through some questioning and some doubting and some testing. God leads him in a great victory. Barak, we talked about him in Judges chapter 5. He was a general of Israel who was too cowardly to lead the army against the Canaanites. He talked to Deborah. Well, you know, I'll go if you go. Thank you. Such a strong, confident leader you are. And yet when he took that step of faith to trust God, He became part of that victory, leading the captivity captive. Samson's list of failures is too long to even list. He was arrogant, haughty, lust-driven, brash, disobedient. I mean, it's Samson we're talking about. The guy who was a he-man with a she problem. (laughs) You know, couldn't get himself together to walk in obedience to his vow and his commitment to God. And yet at the very end of his life, He had enough faith and confidence in God's power and ability to say, Lord, use me one more time to bring about your purposes. Jephthah, he won an incredible victory through God's strength, but in the midst of it, he made and fulfilled an unnecessary and rash vow that ended up costing his daughter maybe even her life. We don't know for sure, but regardless, it's foolish. He did something God didn't ask him to do, and he got in trouble for it. David... It's a man after God's own heart who also happened to be an adulterer and a murderer. Even when he was king, he was a lackluster father who struggled with the discipline and the raising of his children. Yet he constantly found himself struggling with depression and anxiety and yet would always seem to come back to God is my strength. I will trust in the Lord. I will humble myself before God. Samuel was a faithful prophet who walked closely with the Lord, yet he made his degenerate sons rulers in Israel over God's people and didn't deal promptly with their sins and disobedience. Yet all of these people and more experienced the incredible power and victory of their God through faith and made it into this Hebrews chapter 11, which tells me something very encouraging. God chooses to remember our spiritual legacy, not by our moments of failure, but by our moments of faith. Now, don't hear what I'm not saying. God doesn't condone sin and failure. It's not like God's out there saying, hey, can you guys really screw up so I can finally use you? No. Every single person on that list and people close to them paid dearly for their sin, for their disobedience, for their failure, for their weakness, for their bad decisions, for their insecurities, for their fear. There's always a price to be paid by sin. So don't hear me wrong. We should avoid sin and disobedience at all costs. But here's the other side of that. Even the best of men are men at best. We are all human. We are not getting out of this life without some sort of failure. 
All of us are going to make a bad decision into the response of the lust of our flesh. All of us are going to make a decision out of insecurity and fear. All of us are going to make bad relational decisions based on our bitterness and our anger and our hatred. We're all going to do things that cause us to stumble. But here's the bigger question. Not did you fail, but what did you do with your failure? Did you choose to trust God? Or did you choose to let your failure define you and take you away from Christ? Because let me tell you something, and I'm almost done. I think there might be someone in here that really needs to hear this. Your failure in life will tempt you to believe that the only direction for you to go is toward hopelessness. There's no hope for you anymore. God's done with you. You can't go back and change the past. You'll hear all these things. And there's some truth in regret because regret is usually based on things that actually happened. But you need to know something about our God. God is not interested in you living in your regret. He's interested in you turning to him and experiencing his redemption. But do you have the faith to trust God, to repent of your sin, to make amends where needs to be done, and to say, Lord, if you can, I know you can. If you're willing, I know you're willing. Use me again. It's never too late to turn back to faith. Well, thirdly and finally, again, this is the most sobering passage, I think, of the book. So stick with me through it. Third attribute of faith we find in this portion of scripture is that faith values Christ over everything else. True faith values Christ over everything else. I mentioned this at the start of our message. Those descriptions of faith we just read, aren't those the kind of things we all want? We like the idea of shutting the mouths of lions, becoming mighty and valiant in battle, working righteousness, obtaining the promises Seeing the dead raised to life. Amen. You go on YouTube today, you type in inspirational sermon. You're just going to get a list a mile long of your victory, your breakthroughs right around the corner. It's all about you. It's all about what you're going to get from God. And you just need to have faith. That's what you're going to find. But I guarantee you that American Christianity, you will rarely hear a sermon on the final verses of Hebrews chapter 11. Remember, it's the same faith. In fact, Paul would suggest that the nameless heroes at the end of chapter 11 actually hold the highest place of regard in heaven. And who are they? Let's read it. Verse 35. Others were tortured, not accepting deliverance, that they might obtain a better resurrection. Still others had trial of mockings and scourgings, yes, and of chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. Isaiah the prophet was sawn in two. Zechariah was stoned. They were tempted. They were slain with the sword. They wandered about in sheepskins and goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, tormented, of whom the world was not worthy. They wandered in deserts and mountains and dens and caves of the earth." When you read the list of things here that were obtained by faith, some might think, yeah, I might have second thoughts about living that life of faith, actually. It was all nice when it was all about winning and receiving my healing and having the victory and being on top. 
That's all we have time for on today's edition of The Ascending Life with Pastor Josh Flevins. Thanks for tuning in. The Ascending Life is a ministry of Grace Calvary Chapel in St. Joseph, Missouri. And our prayer is that today's message from the book of Hebrews impacted your faith journey in a mighty way. If you have any questions about today's message or would like to connect for other reasons, feel free to give us a call at 816-279-2090. That number again is 816-279-2090. If you'd like to listen to today's teaching again or hear others like it from Pastor Josh, just visit theascendinglife.com and click on media. You can watch our YouTube channel, read our blog, or listen to our podcast. Or better yet, visit us in person. We meet each Sunday at 8 and 10 a.m. and would love to have you join us. At Grace Calvary Chapel, we believe in awakening people to the love, truth, and power of God. If you're looking for a place where you can experience the love, truth, and power of God, we'd love to be that space for you. All are welcome, so come just as you are. For directions and other information about who we are and what we believe in, visit theascendinglife.com. Be sure to like and follow us on Facebook and Instagram to receive daily encouragement too. Well, that's it for today. But thanks again for tuning in to today's message with Pastor Josh. Join us again next time to learn more from the mighty book of Hebrews right here on The Ascending Life. Reaching up, we're pressing in.